Welcome to Growing Your Financial Advisory Practice podcast by Snap Projections, episode 37. I'm your host, Pavel Bramensky, and my goal is to interview experts to provide you with insights, strategies, and actionable tactics that you can start applying to grow your financial advisory practice today. For more information, head over to snapprojection.com slash podcast. Now, let me introduce today's guest. Today's guest is Adam Chapman. Adam is a native of London, Ontario, where his practice is currently located. He completed his Bachelor of Administrative and Commercial Studies degree at Western University back when it was University of Western Ontario, and has added his CFP and CLU designations since starting his business back in 2005. Adam has chosen to focus on a very narrow audience segment, retirees and people who are just about to retire. He paired this niche audience with a business model that has him focused on switching his services over to an almost exclusively fee-for-service and fee-based offering in the next year or two. Adam, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Adam, really excited to have you on talk about especially transition that uh, we mentioned the bio. So let's dive in. So I sort of gave it away in the intro about you know who you work with, but tell me about your firm in your own words. So what do you do? And especially right now as you transition your business, who do you serve? Yeah, so I've been in the business for about 14 years now. And you know, kind of started off with the same sort of model I think a lot of people did, where you kind of get hired in with a larger firm and then you start to sort of learn your ways and, and then start to figure out what part of the business you want to focus on. So my focus over the last five or six years has been exclusively with retirees and walking them through the transition from a financial planning and a sort of psychological and behavioral sort of finance piece. So while we were doing that, it was also this uh, transition that's been going on with CRM2 and everything else that kind of kicked off probably one of the largest transitions I've ever actually done with my book of business. So my business itself is actually quite small by number of clients. I only have about 40 or 50, and I'm managing about 50 million assets under management. So it's, it's very focused. And it was one of these things that with the changing industry, I wanted to make sure that myself and my clients were well positioned for the future. So the transition that I've been doing over the last few years has been moving from the embedded compensation model into 100% fee-based, and then also starting to add in a fee-for-service component. Okay, I want to talk about this transition in a little bit more detail, but let's come back to the sort of the beginning. So take me back to your early days. So like, what made you become an advisor in the first place? What made, what was the trigger for you to join the industry? Well, I I was going to say it's probably a little bit of dumb luck, but it was one of those things, you know, family connection, kind of, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. So kind of did the initial connection. But what happened was, is when I was in university, I was actually working in a restaurant and it was the serving side that kind of brought me out of my shell. I was a really uh, introverted, shy guy and the restaurant really brought that out of me. And so I was trying to find a career that let me have some people time, but behind the scene times. And, and just even having that ability to make an impact, provide some good service, and that the harder I worked and the more I put into it, the more I would get out. Right. I really liked, like, like I would still probably be serving on weekends if they would actually let me, but that would stop pretty quick as soon as I started working. <laughs> but it was, it's still one of my favorite things to do. And, and so that's what translated really well into financial services. And then it's taken that one step further now into more the financial planning side of things where my focus is purely on 
on the planning, not so much the product and everything else. So yeah. Awesome. That's kind of what got me in there. That's that's one thing led to another. So that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So so this is interesting. So let's go back to the target segment, basically, to the you know, who do you serve? You said retirees, people who are just about to retire. So this is interesting for me. Like, tell me more about that because you know you're still a young guy and you're serving, you know, retirees, people who retire, you know, typically could be a lot, lot older than you right now. So tell me a little about that and why is that how did we you know end up being in that space well, well the way i always kind of joke about it is that i like tea and a lot of my little old ladies like tea as well and so i think that's what got me started actually with working with <laughs> clients that are a bit older but actually i work with a lot of couples i've always been in this position where i've been able to work with clients that are significantly older than me and i think there's a real benefit that comes from that and, and a good portion of it also happened when i helped two other advisors work through their retirement transition with their clients and I obviously took over their clients as well. But being able to work with, with clients like that, what's been sort of a great advantage for me being younger, but still in the business for a long period of time is it's fairly easy for me to say, look, like I'm going to help you do that retirement transition, but then I'm also going to be there for the remaining portions, right? And that even when we get into the estate planning side, there's a pretty high likelihood still with a lot of my even clients I'm bringing on today, uh-huh. that I will be the one to distribute that estate right. to wherever it's going, which is, I think one of the sort of the phenomenal pieces you kind of, I don't say you necessarily look forward to doing that for your clients, but it's nice when you've had that long term history with them, yeah. that you get to honor them that way. Yeah. I think that's really one of the cool features of being in this business. And so so that's part of it. <laughs> the other thing I like working with this clientele is for me, we're at a point where they've actually hit the peak of their accumulation. Mm-hmm. And I still think there's this methodology out there that the goal in retirement is to continue to grow wealth. For most people, that's actually not the case. What we're looking to do is take what they've accumulated it and turn it into lifestyle, turn it into something that they're now enjoying. And what fascinates me is the psychology behind it is amazing. It's it's really, it's a lot harder than people think to actually turn the dial from saving to spending mm-hmm. and be comfortable with that. So it kind of brings in both elements of what I studied in school and, and meshes them together really well. I, I think it's just why I, I find helping clients spend the money. Mm-hmm. It's just more interesting to me. <laughs> That's awesome. The psychology aspect is int- really interesting. We'll come back to that. So is this really, uh, you know, why this business exists for you right now? Like this is why the work matters. Like it's, it, you really enjoy that aspect of it and you enjoy the psychology. Yeah. Like I find my passion and like the thrill I get from it is, you know, if we can help clients step out of their comfort zone a couple times in retirement and do something they never thought they could ever do. Yeah. That's phenomenally motivating and powerful for me. You know, it, it's nice to get paid for your work, but that's even better. Like, you know, I have had clients where they, they, uh, for his 70th birthday, they went and did the Disney cruise with all their kids and grandkids and things like that. Awesome. And, you know, the, the price tag on it was fairly significant, but I, I don't think they ever envisioned that they would be able to do something like that. Mm-hmm. So it, it took us a couple of years of coaching and getting there and, and before they finally pulled the trigger on it. And of course they came back after, you know, 10 days and had a great time. So, you know, you, you can kind of have some fun with that. But, that, but memories were priceless and experiences yeah. were priceless. So that's awesome. Okay, cool. So uh, let's talk about transition because in our just conversations, even before we started, we were talking a little bit about your transition. So I want to know a little bit more about that because this is a really unique case. And I know that you also advised other advisors and sort of shared your story with other people about how you've approached this. So let's take it step by step. So first of all, you know, 
what was the trigger for that? How did you end up thinking that, you know what, I think there is something else that I may enjoy a little bit more. And, you know, how did you start the transition? And then we'll... Yeah. So so, so the funny thing is, is even though I kind of mentioned earlier in the uh, sort of opening there, CRM2 and all that kind of stuff was starting to come around. The funny thing that happened for me, it was in about 2013, 2014, because I'm working with retirees and we're trying to draw the money out, mm-hmm. the DSC and embedded commission model was actually an, an incredibly cumbersome process. The act of getting to the money and still trying to get paid put me in a major conflict of interest with what I'm trying to do with my clients. And I actually just, what happened is I started to get so frustrated with the system. I just said, you know what? I'm not doing it anymore. I no more DSCs, no. And, and I'm going to try to find a better way. So I stopped cold Turkey without even actually having a plan as to what I was going to do next. And that's when I started looking around and trying to figure out, okay, well, I still need that income, but how do you actually replace it in a way that's still consistent? Right. And so, when I was first starting to look is at the time, I was actually having a hard time finding people that could even differentiate between fee-for-service and fee-based. Everyone seems to interchange them and they are actually two different things, right? Right. Like fee-based is just a percentage of assets under management, which is just the same thing as the trailer system you're used to, except I I kind of, my, the way I call it, it's, it's pick your own trailer, right? (laughs) Instead of just getting what you get, you actually get to choose what that trailer is. So the system under the fee-based model isn't actually much different than what's already operating for a lot of people. Right. So the challenge was was walking through that process to determine what to charge. And from the feedback I've had from advisors that uh, I've spoken to and have called me and stuff, I think the biggest issue a lot of advisors have is it creates a lot of fear that for the first time, you actually get to and have to choose what you're going to charge a client. Mm-hmm. You know, in the past, you just sell a product and the product companies decide what you get paid. Under a fee-based business, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. You actually have to say, this is this is the rate I'm going to charge this client. Mm-hmm. And I think for people that even, even if you're driving phenomenal value, there's that part of you that kind of goes, well, am I really worth that? Right? Right. So so I did a couple things that I thought would kind of help is I, I did kind of build out sort of, sort of a, an expense modeling system to kind of figure out what my break even was to deliver the service that I needed to give. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I did that I, I don't know if I would recommend this for everyone, but it did kind of work for me is I looked at a couple of my highest net worth clients and I'm going, okay, well, under this model I've just built, this is what they're going to pay me. Mm-hmm. And I, and I kind of went, Ooh, that's maybe a bit high. So maybe I should feel what it's like to pay someone else to help me. So what I actually did was hire a business coach and paid them the same fees that I'm expecting my clients to pay me to get a feel of what it's like, right? Like you have to understand what that value is, in which case it's nice when you can pay someone else and receive that value back Yeah. to know that, okay, if I'm going to charge this to a client, that that you can, you can understand that feeling and that process that they're going through. So that was one of those sort of first steps that I started doing when I was looking at moving into fee-based. And then it really started boiling down to getting a couple clients in. So I, I've basically in the last three years moved my entire book from the embedded commission side to 100% fee-based. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing about it is that you do actually end up with a better and more consistent revenue model on the same existing book of business. 
So from a business building perspective, from the advisor perspective, it's phenomenally powerful. But there are some inherent benefits in making the change that I've noticed in working with the clients. And this is where it gets really, really cool. Because, you know, you kind of always do this work and then there's these these things that you don't really expect to happen that start happening and you're going, okay, I I didn't anticipate that, but I'm glad it's happening that way. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we started doing is when I was explaining sort of this transition and the difference to clients is it was kind of, okay, so we're going to take the business and we're going to move it to fee-based. And it's kind of like the embedded trailer system you're, you're in, but what it's doing is it's separating it into two parts now. We now have the cost of investing, so the base cost of whatever that underlying asset is, plus my charge for doing the planning, right? Mm-hmm. And so what it did is it put this little distance between me and the product, right? Oh, interesting. And, and it made it really easy to then say to the client, so it doesn't matter to me now what product we're in, what risk level we're in, mm-hmm. we get to pick what's right for you and you're going to know that that's always the proper decision that I'm recommending because it's not going to affect my pay, right? It's not like in the past in an embedded commission system where you get paid twice as much on equities as you do on fixed income, right? And for me, working with a lot of retirees, we need to be more conservative, right? But it didn't seem fair that, you know, I have to take a pay cut just to do what's right for the client. Absolutely. So fee-based fee started to put it in a, in a better position where that bias starts to get removed, right? So, so they started to feel more confident about what we were selecting. And so first things first, that, that actually really helped me. No clients left. As soon as they saw the fees coming through, in fact, a couple of them, there was one, we were looking at it and it actually was going to result in a slightly higher cost overall NER under my fee-based system. And we talked about it and she kind of sat there and she went, no, you know what, Adam, it's worth it. Like we totally value what you're doing. Let's go ahead with it. So they actually chose a higher MER to move into fee-based and we're quite happy with that. And now that they can see the fees coming through, what I've noticed with a lot of clients as well is that I used to get a lot of people especially when they're retired, you know, they don't want to interrupt your day. They don't want to bother you. So they would sit on these questions or these thoughts. And then, you know, when we meet at sort of one of our scheduled meetings, all of it kind of gets dumped out all at once. Right. And it's sometimes hard hard to deal with a lot of it because there's so much there. Mm-hmm. So what's happened is now that people can actually see that they're paying me, they're actually more encouraged to pick up the phone. So they actually call a little bit more often. They feel less guilty picking up that phone and saying, I just have a quick question. Mm-hmm. And and so it raises the level of engagement you have with your clients. Right. And I think that's what started to actually spur on some additional referrals because they started feeling better about things. I felt more confident because they didn't take off on me because, you know, I'm too expensive or something. You know, it was it was a really nice feeling all the way around. So, so far, my experience with fee-based, now that I'm, you know, three, three and a half years in, I haven't lost a single client. Yeah. We've had to re-explain it a couple times to a few people just to continue to raise that comfort level. Mm-hmm. But so far, it's it's been it's been a fantastic transition that I'm I'm quite happy I went that route. I, I really like the, the specific nuances that you're just pointing out about, you know, how the business changed and what were some additional benefits that you've seen, for example, the an engagement that uh, that people you know, felt more comfortable talking to you more often. I mean, that's huge. That's really, really huge. And I also like the deliberate aspect of you to having the, the business coach and sort of going through the transition because I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, in the past, advisors sort of are put in a certain, in a certain structure 
and certain decisions were not up to them. For example, how much they're going to charge, right? And all of a sudden, right. when I mean, you have this uh, the paradox basically that when you have more options, it's harder for you to make a decision. So for advisors, it will be harder to make a decision at what I'm going to charge those clients, right? And it's a huge transition. Right. That's a really, you know, I would say, entrepreneurial transition, right? Because you are like you are not bound, and uh, you are you're sort of you know developing, creating a business that works for you, works for your clients, and that's that's awesome. So I want to talk about okay, one specific question about so there's fee based and there's fee for service, as we mentioned in the, in the introduction. So how much work do you like? What is the percentage, approximate percentage? How much work is fee based? How much work is fee for service? And is this fairly constant? Do you expect one side is going to be growing faster than the other? Yeah. So right now it's still you know probably. Probably almost 100% fee-based just because I still do a lot of the implementation of our planning, which to me is the wealth management and, and risk management stuff. But I can see sort of a, a bit of a growing market maybe for some fee-for-service. And I quite honestly, it's also just allowing the clients to have a choice. I think most given what I do with clients and, and the service model that I have for my retirees, most prefer me to do the implementation because there's a lot, it's, it's a little bit more labor intensive on some stuff. Mm-hmm. But that, that fee-for-service offering I think is is necessary for those that want the planning but do the implementation themselves mm-hmm. and I, I I think it's a really underserviced market so I think there is some opportunity for those that that do that now I do have sort of a personal belief on sort of the fee based and the fee for service again when it comes to charging. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've done over the years is I've really niched into a certain area. Like for, for, for a great example, I don't really deal with people that have disability policies anymore. It's just not really part of what I need to learn anymore. Mm-hmm. So what it does is it really focuses my knowledge and you start to really become and, and even more so feel like an expert mm-hmm. in an area, mm-hmm. which also helps with what you're going to charge, whether that's fee-based or fee-for-service, that I think you can start to apply a rate maybe that's a little bit higher than just a, a general practitioner, general planner. And I think that level of knowledge is what people, when they go to jump into a fee-for-service area, I think they're going to want to pay for some sort of specialty, in my opinion. 100%. There is a saying, there is a saying generalists get by, uh, specialists get paid, right? So yes, yes. that's exactly what you're doing, which, which is perfect. You're niching down, you're becoming more of an expert, and you're also streamlining the processes because you're handling you know, similar cases, right? So it's much quicker for you, probably much faster to handle those questions from for clients because you just see the volume of, of the same questions coming up. That's awesome. So you mentioned your process a little bit earlier on. So I want to dig in a little bit into your process. So how do you think about you know wealth management? How do you think about planning and, and what is really your process? Yeah, so so it's a pretty comprehensive financial planning process, you know, involving multiple meetings and good solid discovery meetings and things like that. But you know, at the end of the day, what we're actually doing here is we're trying to solve some of the major problems in retirement for the people we're working with. And the majority of it is actually that fear of running out. Okay. But that fear of running out is what prevents people from using the money. Mm -hmm. So we have to build a structure here that psychologically sets them free to actually use the money on what they want. Mm -hmm. So the products themselves are just the way that we do the implementation. They don't drive much of anything. Mm -hmm. It's the planning component that we customize for the individuals. And even the way that they've managed their own money, the way that they've created their wealth Mm -hmm. is very, very important for us to know. And then we have to work within that to create those 
those cash flows for them in retirement. So you do need, you know, when even when it comes down to the planning software, that kind of stuff, I need some flexibility. It always has to be something that the situation is not just to punch it in and get a number and go to the client and say, here's what you're able to do. It's more about here's what you want to do. Let's build it backwards. Make sure you've got enough and then leverage any tools that we have in any accounts to create that confidence they need to spend the money. So it really always starts with that plan that like, like people don't get in the front door with me unless they're willing to do the plan. The implementation afterwards is actually pretty simple and pretty easy to do anymore. Like, you know, we've got so many great options for managed funds, you know, like, I, I don't care what you're selecting on the backside. Mm-hmm. There's so many different choices that you can fit it to whatever's unique for the client. Mm-hmm. And it's it under a fee based or fee for service model, you know, I don't really care which one it is, as long as they know it's the right one for them. So I think it's the most powerful thing about this change in the industry right now is those that have been trying to do the right thing for their clients. And and even though you may have done it, you still kind of feel like there's a little bit of a conflict there, mm-hmm. right? And, and you know, you do your best to always kind of fight against it and you'll always do what's right for your client. But the changes that are coming through, I think, really actually make you feel that way. And I, and I think that's really, really important for advisors to have. And I do like that it separates us from the product. We're just there to help them implement it. Mm-hmm. What it is and how it, I really honestly don't care. It doesn't matter to me as long as it does the job for the client. Mm-hmm. The particulars about it is, is significantly less important. And, and then I think the clients also start to see the value in the planning that they worry less about the products and what it's in as well. You know, mm-hmm. we, we quite often, I do believe in managed money of some sort, whether, you know, whether it's index based or not, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. There, there's situations for both. Mm-hmm. But just being able to say to the client, we're managing the plan. Mm-hmm. And then this stuff is managing the, the money. Mm-hmm. And there's a system there that's doing that. And then we manage our system through the plan to produce the income. Two systems completely independent that they can see that there's a difference. And we can see what the charge is for each too. Like that's the beautiful thing about fee-based is you still know what that base charge is for the investments and you know what you're charging the client. Right. And you can show them separately, which I think is phenomenal. Yeah, it brings, brings additional transparency. And you mentioned something really important, which is you really focused, I mean, started with your frustration a couple of years ago and then sort of yeah. solved the frustration, solved the problem, but you're really focused on what's right for the client, trying to remove those as many of those conflicts of interest on the way. And, and I think that's really critical because, I mean, the industry is sort of moving towards, you know, away from my fees are going lower, right? And it's all about the client. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's what's so awesome about this is that we are actually under this change. Mm-hmm. It's moving from products mm-hmm. to people, right? And I think that's what's so cool is that that product gets to start to fall to the background a little bit mm-hmm. and you get to focus on the people. I think it's it's just so awesome. <laughs> that's that's awesome. That's uh, Well, the other thing is, uh, you know, the interesting thing for us, especially on the planning software, is that, as you, you mentioned, that, you know, we have to do what's right for the client. And, and we've very quickly noticed, especially in retirement, like you cannot have just, you know, here's what's, as you just mentioned, here's what's possible, here's what you could do. You have to be able to customize. And this customization yeah. and data accumulation and software, that's not an easy thing to do technically. So we're thinking... <laughs> we're, remember, you, you guys are the wizards. <laughs> I don't know I don't know how to do that. I just like using it. <laughs> it so it's, it's kind of interesting because from a technical perspective, it's hard, right? Because there's so many different cash flows, but you have to be able to sort of, you have to be able to manage it in a way that you, you actually help clients implement what they're doing right now. Because if you 
you show them something different, then then it's like, well, this is not exactly what we're doing in practice. So there's this kind of, again, yeah. discrepancy. So that's awesome. So talk about the, the psychology, because you mentioned that uh, there is a switch in psychology for the client when basically yeah. they're basically at the point that they stop accumulating and there this dial is just basically turning and then and then they need to start decumulating. So talk, talk to me about some of the things that you've noticed with, when, when you're working with clients and how do you sort of help manage that transition for them? Yeah, so, well, first and foremost, you know, I think there's this general assumption out there that people think that the second they retire, they're instantly happier. And that's actually not the case for most people. So I like to talk quite a bit with, with my clients about the realities of retirement. It really is probably the, the, the position in life where it can have great moments of joy, but it's also filled with moments of loss. You know, even that initial transition is loss of structure, loss of camaraderie, loss of different things like that. And, and I do find some people even go through bouts of depression in the earlier stages of retirement. Mm-hmm. So part of what my process is designed to do is help them hopefully step on the gas a little bit sooner. I find there's generally a lag of three or four years before you really start to see people pick up the pace, right? Then they go and then they start to soften a little bit as they get older. The problem is there's too many variables there that we can't control with, you know, even the loss of spouses, loss of family, loss of friends. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things years ago that when I was trying to sort of build out a bit of my service offerings, I actually did go out and I got myself uh, bereavement training and palliative care training, just because it's what my clients encounter quite often. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of nice to have that extra little emotional skill set mm-hmm. available to, again, hopefully shorten those gaps that they have when there's been a loss and get them moving again sooner rather than later. So again, those losses are really hard to manage. So what we do have to do our best to manage is the way that they think about how much they can spend, how quickly, that if we can get them stepping on the gas sooner, that we can have a much better result for them that, you know, really at the end of the day, my, my personal belief on retirement is that it's, it's not about the rate of return. It's not about the tax savings. Those are pieces of a plan that I'm going to manage, but it's not what the client really actually cares about. What the client cares about is actually you using their money for things that provides good value, good lifestyle. And like I said earlier, my goal is to have a couple moments in there for them where they've stretched, where they've really gone beyond what they thought they were capable of mm-hmm. and done something that they'll look back. Because I find when you have that little element in there of it's going to make them slightly uncomfortable, maybe to spend that money to go do that thing they never thought they could, mm-hmm. that slight bit of being uncomfortable is what they actually look back on later mm-hmm. and they go, I'm so glad we did that. Because it took a push, it took some effort, it took things that I didn't think they most people think they have to do in retirement to be happy, you know, and, and, and I've chatted with a lot of clients as well that, you know, I think when you're in your career and your family and all this stuff, there's always that sort of next stage that you're kind of always working towards. And I think a lot of people kind of, you know, you've got that next promotion, that next pay raise, and you're always constantly moving forward. And it's like, you can see that next step is coming. And then you kind of hit retirement. And the one thing that people don't realize is that you do actually now have to pick what your own steps are now. There's no one there that's just laying them out in front of you. So you you actually have to have planning work that's been done to kind of identify what some of those things are. And again, all of these decisions aren't really necessarily based around the money. The money's the tool to get you there. 
but again, it's just, it's just, the, it's just a tool. So I find getting people to step on the gas soon enough is, is where the real challenge as a retirement planner is. You know, I, I don't want people at the end of the day to get later on in retirement, have some loss that they didn't expect and then regret they didn't spend sooner. Right. That's what people actually, I think are really trying to avoid in retirement. It has nothing to do with this fear of running out. If people have gotten to the point where they think they can retire and that, that thought is there on their own. In most cases, I've actually found they've oversaved, mm-hmm. right? So if they're already pretty comfortable with it and they can do that without a plan, chances are once we do the plan, we realize they've got too much, in which case now we have to manage that and, and make sure they're getting good value for it. So I could probably spend like an entire hour just talking about the psychology stuff, but... <laughs> That, that's that's really awesome. So, like, one of my next questions to you for you would be like, what what may be successful during your practice? But there's so many components I can already see that like you're doing so well. You're specializing. You're you're thinking about how can I add more value to my clients? How can I I be more personally be more valuable to the clients? You're diving into psychology. You're uncovering some of the nuances how to sort of get them you know to the next uh, sort of step. With hey, let's maybe get you to the point that you can maybe spend a little bit more that you thought maybe take a take a you know Disney cruise or something like this and then sort of look back and think about, you know, you, you did something with the money that, that really mattered to your family. So so this is awesome. This is all great. And I'm really enjoying this. But what else is there when you're looking basically at you know, how you're transitioning the practice and, and building your practice? What really made you successful so far? You know what? I, I think the big thing is when you can step away again from the sales model where it is more of a transaction-based business, I don't I don't treat my business like we're doing transactions. We're, we're, we're sitting there quite often. I still only do maybe annual planning sessions with clients once a like they're just once a year right so there's not a huge pile of touch points in between but when we do get together you know some clients we can sit there and we're there for three or four hours Mm -hmm. you know but it's just a great chance to catch up so you know i'm not doing high volume as far as number of people but the ones that we do we get a pretty good relationship going and and i think it's easier for them to hear and and take the advice you're giving when they actually feel like you've listened so like i said my, my little joke earlier about sort of the tea and everything like that is it's always been a great opportunity for me to listen that if you're sitting having a cup of tea a uh, cup of coffee, whatever, you know, it, it's kind of nice. I, w- I would also like to attribute, you know, I, I think part of what, what I do a little bit unique is I actually do all of my client meetings in jeans and a t-shirt. <laughs> you know, I'm not that one that's in a suit and tie and all that stuff. It actually makes me so uncomfortable that I'm fidgety. So I actually, years ago, I kind of had to ditch all that stuff just so I could be sit and comfortable and listen. And that actually really helped me just feel more calm and collected. And, and you know, like I wasn't walking into this this client's house or they're coming to my office where I feel like I'm I'm ready to sell them something, you know, like that, that was never my intention ever was to sit with someone and make them feel like I'm about to sell them something. So jeans and the t-shirt, they, you know, sometimes they give you a, a, a little look over once, you know, but then once you start talking and they realize, you know, what talking about your awareness okay so that's great so that's another aspect you know for example the jeans and t-shirt i mean that's that's a really powerful lesson of of positioning right because like you're so different than for example the banking offering right so people clearly see that you're different right you're how you're approaching serving them is different so but in terms of finding clients so uh, i want to dive a little bit into into this right now so i, I think you're, you've been building you know, the solid foundation and you're doing the transition so you don't of course want to have you know high volume but you know how do you acquire clients right now how are you thinking about 
both to client acquisition and business growth right now? Yeah, so right now, uh, again, part of this process of switching to fee-based and, and we sort of did a bit of automation there is I, I actually was running into a bit of a capacity issue too. So part of this change has, has been all in, in attempts to sort of free up some more time and automate some of the backend systems so that we, we could do more client acquisition. So at this point, it's still been mostly referral-based, that kind of thing, and certainly natural market referrals as well. But we're just about to start with some of my fee-for-service stuff. We're going to try a couple different approaches because the messaging is rather unique that we're going to try doing a few extra things there to see if we can do more of a pull from a more general audience. But up to this point, my whole business has been built purely through referrals and through the acquisition of two sort of books of business from a couple of retiring advisors. Now, mm-hmm. in those cases, we kind of, it was only sort of a, a few clients that that were moved over, but through all of it, we did a four-year transition with, with both of them. So all of the clients that we were transitioning, you know, they'd had years with me that it was a pretty smooth process. So that that's kind of where where the growth has come from. But, but I can't say I've ever been one that's been really focused on driving huge amounts of growth. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I need to make sure that obviously, you know, I work with older clients, so they don't always stick around forever. So there is a bit of a, a bit of natural attrition there that I do have to replace those clients. Right. But, you know, I think there's only so many relationships a really good advisor can actually manage that really to go from, you know, 50 relationships to 100 would actually be probably a fairly significant stretch for me, you know, and, and, and then it requires hiring additional staff members and things like that. So as much as I'm still looking to grow, it, it's not, it's not the the growth that I'm trying to that, that I was trying to accomplish earlier in my career. Right, you're optimizing. You're not optimizing for growth. You're optimizing for the client experience, so you can accelerate later if you if you choose to do so. Absolutely, and and I don't want to drop the ball for my clients that are already clients. You know, I want to make sure that they continue to feel that when they come in, they're being heard, they're being listened to, and that they're still feeling confident when they leave the leave the office. I mean, that's that's kind of one of the feedback pieces that I I, I sort of quite consistently get is that they generally feel better the second they leave the office about their whole sort of life situation, just not even money, but but life in general. And, you know, I think if you start just focusing on whether it's asset accumulation or whatever you're trying to focus on, if that growth rate is too fast, you're going to lose those soft pieces. And to me, I think that's what the clients are really actually paying me for. You know, we can do the investment implementation and risk management, but they're paying for that feeling they have when they leave the office. And and that's why they'll they'll pay what they pay. So Adam, as you're completing the transition right now in your business, I mean, if when you're looking at, the, for example, at the, the impact of the transition, of course, I mean, you're removing the barriers of entry, sorry, current conflicts of interest. But when you're looking, for example, at just pure, pure business metrics, for example, the you know, growth of the business, you know, number of referrals, do you see an impact of this transition on your business? Oh, absolutely. You know, it, again, I, I think it was a combination of a few different things that removing the bias, my confidence level going up, and you know, it did actually start to generate more referrals just by the nature of doing a few things like that. And and the switch to fee based, I, I think I think this is where you know I've had other advisors ask is you know you know they jump very quickly into the what are you charging? And and I think it's going to be a personal thing for each advisor because you do actually again have to place a value on what you're delivering. But I think a fee based model 
model done correctly doesn't necessarily mean you have to earn any less money than when you were an embedded system with commissions. So like I just made sure that what we were charging was still paying all the bills and providing that income. So what's actually happened is the revenue has actually stayed the same on the existing book, but then I've added a bunch of good quality referrals have come in that are phenomenal clients over the last few years as well, that I would say my recurring revenue has probably tripled over three years. You know, yeah, and and that's not, you know, that was just doing a a regular transition from the existing embedded system to fee-based. And I'm quite happy with that. It's actually allowed me to kind of look at, you know, maybe hiring another administrative person to help keep the service level up. And and now we don't feel quite so pressured anymore. I I think that kind of goes to that your question on sort of growth and all that kind of stuff too, is I don't actually feel as pressured anymore, whether that's a good or bad thing, I don't know. But you know, that that kind of pressure to sometimes go out and try to get a commission and, and, you know, (laughs) the fee-based world, when you, when you set the prices correctly, I think give you the same income you had before, but now you don't have to go out. You get to just do that with the clients you already have. And and I think that's really great because then it does actually let you focus on increasing that service level, which then generates the referrals anyways. So it's a better cyclical process to have. That makes sense. So, so you mentioned some advisors are asking questions about, you know, fees, for example, can you, can you talk a little bit more about the compensation structure? So what sort of works for you right now? What, what are you doing with clients? Yeah. So, you know, it is obviously based off the size of the portfolio, but I don't really go through a process with them to show them exactly where they get cut points. And the other thing that I did that, that I, I've seen, whether it was companies or different things, you know, they, they show, okay, you know, here's this package and we're going to charge this. And then here's this package. And, you know, as the, the wealth goes higher, they, they start to add all these other things in to justify the fees being higher. And, and the funny thing with that, that when you, when you look at those kind of charts, you kind of see them as, as well, then the clients can kind of self-select and kind of go, well, I don't want this package. I want this one. So I'm only going to give you enough money to get to this level. And I really struggled with that process. So for me, what I did is all of my clients actually get the same package, right? I'm just going to charge them a different rate accordingly. So whether clients, you know, got 250,000 or they've got 3 million, what I'm delivering is exactly the same to each and every single client. That way I'm not, I don't have to build complex systems to manage who's getting what. Everyone's getting the same. I just change my rates accordingly. So it, it kind of depends still a bit on the client, but you know, the, the more difficult the situation, but it kind of standardizes a lot of things. I, I think, I think stepping into fee-based and fee-for-service where a lot of advisors can go wrong is a, they drop their fees too low right out the start because they have a hard time determining what their own value is. I think it's that fear piece. And then the other one is they go too complex trying to make different versions of what they're going to charge. I, I think you can go really simple that, you know, even if you were looking to jump into the fee-based world, you could start really simple and just say, here's what I'm delivering for clients, whether they've got a lower portfolio or a higher one. And, and even if you just started with a flat line percentage that you're going to charge and charge it the same for everyone to start, you know, that's not a bad way to get your foot wet. You know, I, I, I've seen too many, they, they try to make it too complicated and it doesn't really actually need to be. The system is very similar to the embedded commission system. So even explaining it to clients, you're, you don't have to walk through anything super complicated for them to understand it, especially if what the model and what you're delivering is still pretty consistent. As soon as you start putting choices out there of it, I think it can muddy the water and make the clients and, and yourself start to overanalyze the execution on it. So my system really was, it was very straightforward. Everyone still gets the same thing. And it's about the value to the client, not necessarily the price paid. So 
yeah, I do have clients with a lower portfolio. And because this is a question I quite often get as well is, you know, how do you justify then if you're if you're delivering the exact same thing to all clients, how do you justify charging some clients significantly more for it than clients with a lower portfolio? I said, for me, it's about what it's worth to that client. The impact for the higher net worth client that we're having is larger. We're, their, their, their fears can sometimes be greater. Not always the case, but sometimes. And for those clients with a smaller portfolio, they're, they're paying me less income perhaps but it's also generally usually a, a higher percentage of their portfolio. And so it, it's one of those things where it's about the value to them. And as long as they see value and they're engaged, I, I'm very comfortable with what I charge my clients. That makes a lot of sense. So in terms of advisors, other advisors just asking you about, uh, you know, just help me transition to, I see what you're doing. I see value in doing something like this. I, I'd like to do the same thing. What are some of the mistakes they, other mistakes they do? You mentioned a couple of them in the past, but uh, you, you mentioned, you know, keep the cost uh, structure yeah. and sort of you know, limit to one plan initially, just keep it really simple. So there's not a lot of options. So that's a good advice. What else, what other, what other advice you would have for, for them and how they can possibly eliminate some of the mistakes along the way for them? So for me, again, probably one of the other things that's maybe a little bit different is when I look at how I'm charging fee-based or even my fee-for-service model, you know, I don't use hourly rates to try to calculate what I'm going to charge. When I was doing the fee-based side, it was about how do I keep the lights on and pay myself? So I I came up with what my operating costs were to pay me a salary, pay everything I needed, and then tried to sort of figure out what my break-even costs would be on a per-client basis and tried to sort of figure some of those numbers out kind of working that way. So that I knew if I charged all my clients at least this, then I can afford to keep my business running. And, and that's what sort of set the baseline. And then that kind of tweaks from there. I didn't use these hourly rates. I see a lot of people go, you know what, I only do X amount of hours per year with this client. So, you know, I'm going to aim at, at this. It's not about the number of hours. And what it does, in my opinion, is it puts you back into the same conflict you had when you were selling product is that they always want the cost to be a little bit lower. They want you to less hours, you know, and then and then you always, and it's not that you want it to be more, but, you know, it, it you do make more money with their, when they're more hours to be billed to a single client that, that that I think that whole system shouldn't be used at all. It's always about value. And so the tricky part is there's not a, a true measuring stick there, right? It, it, it's There's not a number that you can associate with it other than to say, this is the price for what I deliver. And just realize that what you're delivering for clients with a higher net worth, higher complexity is worth that additional price to them. And, and just be simple with it like that. It, it doesn't need to be more complicated than that. Right. Because there's some things that you can measure, right? I mean, tax savings, for example, how much money yep. you save them, if, for example, on, on the accumulation, right? If, if you do the accumulation right, uh, if you pull money from, from, from different accounts. So you can definitely quantify the value of that. And, and there's some, but there's some other things that yep. you mentioned that early in the interview uh, that uh, they're just uh, intangibles, right? Some of the experiences, so some, some, some of the psychological aspects. I mean, there is there's really no price tag to, that you can attach to that. But you can, I guess you can use, the, you can use the, the, the math on those things that you can quantify. You can sort of look at from that perspective and then you can you can also look at the, the other aspects and then and then that's the total value right if you can't quantify this to a dollar because of the psychological aspects i mean that's fine but it doesn't mean that you're not delivering value you're still del- delivering a lot of value to clients yeah yeah and, and, and i think again that the, the the real value we're delivering as you know good planners is is working with people and helping them move forward you know like again it, it's easy to measure the tax savings and you know the rate of returns but we're not always necessarily 
literally in control of that. We can move pieces around to, to make things better or worse or whatever you need to do. But, you know, it's that feeling the client has when they leave. Those are the things that are going to drive the greatest amounts of value, in my opinion. And it's why I think you can't put an hourly rate on that. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so I think that's why the whole system has to be based off of something that you just feel that the charge that you're, you're charging is, is appropriate. And you need to feel as an advisor that you're worth of, 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 of your charging as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why I think even as I jump into sort of fee for service, doing the fee base first actually has really helped. We're still working out on sort of what I'm going to be charging in certain aspects, but I'm, I'm pretty confident after doing a bit of market research and stuff that I'm probably going to be charging a bit more than what standard fee for service rates are just because I do think the value is there because I've got fee based clients that are already paying it. Right. So, so what do you see? What do you see the charges on fee for service right now? Well, I don't know. Like when you look at the generalists and stuff that are out there and you find, you know, different things through money sense. And, you know, I see a lot of people doing that 2,500 to 4,000 dollars seems to be a plan. I I personally, I think for a good comprehensive yep. retirement plan that includes a lot of the stuff that I'm doing, I think it's undercutting the value of what it's actually worth. You know, it's hard for me to deliver that and do the implementation for that price, right? That you, you've got a client with a, a quarter of a million dollar portfolio at 1%, you know, that's mm-hmm. $2,500 a year and you're not building out a plan every year for those clients, right? So, so I really struggle to say, okay, we're going to charge a, a recurring client that Mm -hmm, and then we're going to charge someone else the same you know and 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 they get that instantaneous value that i don't know i just i really struggle with that i think it's i think it's too low i think for those that are niching and have a really unique knowledge in a specific area that fee for service price in my in my personal opinion needs to be quite a bit higher absolutely and and i think with with planning basically that uh, the value that you're expected to deliver is is not constant every single year i mean that the value can be yeah it changes Absolutely. It changes. There could be some years that you deliver a lot more value, especially the major transition life, things like that. So, so that's, uh, that's going to basically, uh, that's going to increase the value. And, you know, there's yeah, probably yeah. a way to average this out. But enough about fees. I want to talk about a couple of other things before we wrap up here. So uh, as you're seeing the transition, basically, as you're witnessing your transition, and as you're seeing the changes in the industry that's happening, the fees. So, you know, how do you think the delivery of financial advice is going to evolve here in Canada? What are your thoughts on that? Well, again, I, I think the products now are nothing more than a fairly basic commodity. I, I, I don't think it's where the focus is going to be anymore. The focus is really going to truly shift for the first time, in my opinion, to the people and the planning. You know, the products, there's always going to be the companies out there trying to put the focus on the product, but but the industry is going to change that. I think even the way that advisors are hired will change, and it's going to bring in a different blend of people that are servicing people. And the focus is truly going to be on planning more so in the future than it ever has been. So I think people getting really comfortable with determining a rate to charge and then also getting more and more efficient at building a good plan and actually understanding what that is, that it's not even just necessarily, you know, punching into an automated program. Like you do need to have a skill set there. There, there is a bit of a craft to planning. It's, it's not, especially when you bring in those psychological layers, right, that I'm trying to pull in in retirement, you know, just because it's the most tax efficient doesn't mean it's the route we're going to take. It's going to be the one that actually helps them spend the money. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. So, so that, that plan is always shifting and changing. And I think that's, it really, Mm -hmm. truly, in my opinion, is an art form for those that do it really well. And, and so I'm, I'm very excited for the future as we go, you know, another 10, 10 years into what, what transition is occurring. I think we're actually going to find a significantly larger database of really, really strong planners and hopefully ones that have also niched where they've gotten away from that, that sales generalist idea too, where, you know, you kind of sell everything you can when you first start in some of these roles where now you're kind of going, no, this is, this is the exact field I work in very same way as the, the, the legal field, you know, you, you've got divorce lawyers and real estate lawyers. And, and I think financial planning is eventually going to be the same thing where you're going to go to a plan planner for a specific stage of life and, or whatever that makes you unique, that you're going to look for a planner that that actually connects and knows that segment incredibly well, which which also sort of changes my view on, you know, clients as well is that, you know, I think in, the, in the sort of that future, clients may not be with the same advisor for their, their entire life. They may be there for only certain stages of their life that that advisor can help them with. And then they'll move on to someone else, perhaps in the same firm, perhaps somewhere else that helps them through that next stage, whether they're building businesses or we're doing estate plans, there, there's some nuances there in the planning side that you you need to be really proficient at. And, and so that's why I think, again, having robust planning software and tools that we can use that allow us to customize at different places is really important. That makes a lot of sense. So people and planning and specialization. And you mentioned retirement, retirement planning is more of a craft. And uh, you know, I, I think this is the same message that I got from another podcast guest a while ago, Howard, Howard Dixon was talking about retirement planning. And we we're sort of, I, I was asking him uh, the question, whether it's an art or a science. And he's sort of, uh, you know, as a physicist, he's actually thinking that you know, planning is more of an art than a science. So this is really interesting. It's very similar conclusion. So Adam, there's a couple of, uh, couple of things. I know uh, you're doing a lot of things right now in your business. You're optimizing business. You're, you're, you're changing a lot of things. But what are some of your projects that you're most excited in the business right now? Projects that are most exciting. Well, again, I'm really working right now on, on sort of building out this fee-for-service stuff. And I hired a, a pretty awesome sort of branding and marketing team that they've done sort of the, the interview process with the clients. I was a bit nervous with it, but some of the feedback that the clients gave was so wonderfully insightful as to sort of what I deliver and everything that working on a couple of these things and trying to really truly understand what I'm delivering is actually I, I think really exciting like I mean it's always nice to you kind of think what you're delivering but it's different to hear it from the client's side what they believe you're delivering so so that's been sort of my project for the last year I'm almost sort of done doing the fee-based changeover that was a good solid sort of three-year process and then uh, I think sort of the next little bit is if I can get a little bit more automation going on the back end wealth management, especially, I'm looking forward to having some uh, increased capacity to, to take on some more clients and, and hopefully even, uh, you know, I'd love to get into having a couple other advisors join and, and, and sort of learn how to do some of the planning side that I do. Just because again, I, I don't think there's still really great places that advisors can go to learn the craft side of it. You can learn a bit of the science and uh, as you sort of mentioned, sort of the numbers and everything in behind the scenes, but that that art that comes with it, you're not going to learn that in school. You need you need to sit and, and work with someone that that's figured some of it out. And you know, I, I think that was one of the challenges for me very early on in the career was connecting with enough people fast enough that were like-minded to to sort of pull that experience together. I did have to learn a lot of it on 
on my own. And, you know, you do, you kind of sit there sometimes and, and you're trying to do good planning for people, but you know, you're constantly be, being told something else and going, no, 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 like just go sell, go sell. Meanwhile, you're trying to do something different that I'm hoping that I can maybe help a couple other advisors make that transition a little bit easier to elevate their game from learning the basics to an actual craft sooner than I did. I mean, it's taken me 14 years to get to where I am. You know, it'd be nice if you could see advisors do that, you know, four or five, and they start to dig into the craft a little bit harder. But so those would be my sort of upcoming things I'm, I'm hoping to do. That's cool. Lots of projects. And I'm really uh, pleased to hear how you're thinking about it today, helping uh, you know, other advisors and, and really offering, uh, you know, giving them helping hand and answering those questions. So that's great. So Adam, this podcast is all about uh, growing your practice. Do you have any parting words of wisdom for the listeners? Just one thing. Oh, just one thing. You know what? I, I think the biggest thing is to just not be afraid. If you're going to start to switch the model, don't be afraid to charge what you believe you're worth. Don't undercut that value. Give it a shot. I, I, I learned pretty quickly myself. I started higher than, you know, I've seen a lot of other people start with their pricing. And I, I, I've actually increased it a little bit since. And I think I probably could have started even higher. You know, I, I think the simple thing is we drive a lot of value. Don't be afraid to put it out there and get some feedback from clients uh, before you just start picking a, a price that's too low. Uh, you need to make sure you're, you stay in business and that you can continue to offer value. So don't be afraid to charge for it. These are wise words. Uh, so don't get stuck in the analysis paralysis. Take action and, and, and go forward with that. So that's great. So Adam, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, maybe ask you a couple of follow-up questions about uh, your transition and other things. How would they do that? What's the best way to reach you? We can uh, give you a couple of email addresses and things like that, that if people want to reach out through the podcast, but uh, certainly more than able to uh, email me directly and that would be just fine. Perfect. So we'll link up your email address here in the show notes. So Adam, thanks for coming on the show. I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I think there's just uh, so much value here that, uh, yeah, I think a lot of advisors will get value from it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It was great to have a chat. Thanks so much. That's it for this episode. If you enjoyed it, I would really appreciate if you left us a great review in iTunes because that helps us get discovered. And if you want to get in touch with us, please email podcast at snapprojections.com. Thanks, and I'll talk to you next time.